0: Matthew's Gospel tells of the visit to Jerusalem of astrologers from eastern lands. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him.
1: Welcome once again to St. John's Church. We're delighted you're able to join us this evening. And I want to begin by asking a somewhat searching question. What are you living for? What are you living for? Maybe it's not a question we ask ourselves very much, if at all. But what is our life all about? What is it directed towards I don't know whether you love or loathe football, but the World Cup final today is a great illustration of what many people are living for. The players, the coaches, the fans, their lives, all lined up, all revolving around winning the trophy. What are you living for? Really, it's another way of asking what we worship. Family, work, Comfort, reputation, honour, just getting through the day, even World Cup glory. None of them bad things, but none of them big enough. None of them sufficiently glorious to build our lives around. Christmas reminds us there's only one thing worth living for. Only one person worthy of all our worship. For just a few moments, I want to draw our attention back now to the reading we've just had from Matthew 2. You'll see it printed out on the sheet in front of you. And I wonder as we look down how many kings we can spot in this true Bible reading. Maybe just think of a number in your head as you scan the words again. Well, if you went for more than two, you might want to look again. Uh, We're not told the wise men are kings, are we? They're they're more like mystics or astrologers. Sometimes they're called magi, from which we get our word magician. They're court officials from the east. And we're not told, told how many there are. For all we know, there could be 20 of them. No, there are only two kings named, Herod and Jesus. And since Herod's really a puppet king, there's only one king in this true Bible story. You see, this is all telling us Jesus is Davidic. He's God's king. Now, we might be thinking, what do you mean he's Davidic? His name is Jesus, not David. But just a little earlier, Matthew, the author, has opened his book with Jesus' family tree. And one of the big themes he's highlighting is Jesus is the long-awaited king from David's line. David was Israel's greatest king, but he's promised a descendant, who will reign forever? There's a promise running all through God's word of God's king coming to rescue and to rule God's people. And so the wise men, they rock up at the palace, expecting to find the true king or at least to be pointed in the right direction. Verse one again, if you look down with me. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. All the way from the east, hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles away, they've spotted this star or his star, as they call it. They may be from Iraq or Iran, but it's the place where God's people had been exiled hundreds of years before. So they likely have some familiarity with the prophecies and predictions in God's word. Places like Numbers 24... Where we're told a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now they rock up in the capital city, Jerusalem, and go straight to the palace because that's where kings are born, right? I guess if they've traveled all this way, they might be expecting the people closer to the scene to be even more excited. But just listen to what happens next. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them whether Christ was to be born. The history books tell us what a tyrant Herod was. He was so desperate to cling on to power, he has his favourite wife killed off and two of his sons. I'd hate to think what he did to his not-so-favourite wives. You see, Herod doesn't want a rival king, not God's true king, on the block. He can't take any chances. So he he gets his Bible advisors together to work out where the Christ, where God's forever king, is going to be born. And here's what they say. Verse 5, they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now, you know, hundreds of years earlier, it's been predicted in Micah chapter 5, God's forever king is going to come from Bethlehem, King David's hometown, just a, a few miles south of Jerusalem. But just look back to verse 1. Jesus has been born in Bethlehem of Judea. Matthew actually adds another reference from the Old Testament, from 2 Samuel 5, to make his point really clear. This king who's just been born is going to be the ruler, the king of God's people, who David was only pointing towards. So Jesus is God's true king, God's promised king, who he has established over all. He alone is worthy of all our worship, all our adoration, all our praise. I don't know whether you plan on watching the coronation of King Charles next year, but whether we're a royalist or a republican, his coronation actually makes very little difference to our lives. If you're out at the pub and you say something rude about the king, nothing terrible will really happen to you. Though I'm not condoning being rude about royalty. Please don't be. Uh, Jesus, though, he's not some momentary monarch, not a restricted ruler. He is God's appointed king, come to rule over all people for all time. A rebellion against him is not only futile, it's foolish. Uh, Christmas is the, the one time of year, isn't it, that we get to pull crackers? And I wonder if you're one of those people who puts their paper crown on or not. I think humanity is divided into those who do wear them, those who refuse to wear them. But whichever way, uh, they never last very long, do they? But here is a king whose crown never falls apart. Uh, Jesus is Davidic. He's God's long-promised king come to rule. Even as a baby, he's king. Do you see, he's been born king of the Jews and he's also the best king because Jesus isn't any ordinary baby Jesus is divine in fact these are the the fact these wise men come all this way suggests they're expecting someone more than just a king months of planning and travel huge expense great upheaval it's a lot even for a king but Matthew the writer wants to show us Jesus is divine Again, he's already told us this. Just a, a few verses earlier, we're told the baby to be born is to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And now it's further underlined. It makes sense, doesn't it, of why are star's involved. It's of, of cosmic, universal importance. We talk, don't we, of the stars aligning when things go our way, but none of us can make the stars align. However, God can and did to ensure these distant emissaries find their way to the true king. Matthew wants us to see Jesus is more than just any ordinary king, more than just a mere human king. We've already said how Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy in Micah 5 by being born in Bethlehem. But just listen again to how Micah carries on. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel... Whose coming forth is from of old, of ancient days; therefore, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Did you hear that? A child, a ruler, was going to be born, but who is from of old, from ancient days? It's looking forward to one who will be born, who is the eternal God Himself. It is incredible. But I don't think that's all. We're also given a clue in the presents Jesus gets. Do you remember what they are? Verse 11 again. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts gold and frankincense and myrrh. Uh, Now, Jesus isn't getting presents because he needs them. these, These wise men, they're giving gifts to show just how amazing he is. And they're also a hint as to who Jesus is. They're all gifts linked to the temple. You see, here is God's king who brings God's presence and God's pardon. Actually, Jesus is offered myrrh later in his life. As Jesus hangs on the cross dying, he's offered myrrh and wine to drink. When his body is taken down from the cross, it's wrapped in myrrh and linen. Jesus is the king who came to die. The same title the wise men give Jesus, King of the Jews, finds its place over the cross at the end of this book. You see, God can be with us and forgive us only through Jesus' death. We all want to wear the crown ourselves, but Jesus offers us pardon from God by dealing with God's anger at our rebellion against him. You see, Herod, he is a king who takes life. But Jesus, he is a king who gives his life. Jesus is Davidic, he's God's true king. Jesus is divine, he is God's presence and pardon. But all of this means Jesus is divisive. He is the one on whom we stand or fall. Sadly, we know all too well how Christmas can often be in time for arguments, can't it? Christmas jumpers... Mince pies, Brussels sprouts, the Christmas number one, often very polarizing. But did you notice how in our reading, Jesus does just the same? Firstly, Herod hates him. Verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And so did this, does this, this bad, awful king, Herod, actually want to worship Jesus? Well, of course not. He wants to know how old the child is. Verse 7, what time the star had appeared. He wants to know exactly where the child is, verse 8, Also, he can kill him. Now I take it we're not a genocidal maniac like Herod but all of us want to wear the crown we want to be the ones running our own lives and we don't want a rival ruler whether it's active hostility like Herod or just apathetic indifference like the priests and scribes it amounts to the same response and we deserve God's judgment for taking the crown, for refusing his rule Knowing the Bible wasn't enough for Herod. In fact, it was dangerous for him. It's not enough to know who Jesus is to know about him. I have a very real concern. People go away this evening and think, what a lovely talk, what an interesting topic. Being merely interested is a great starting point, but it is a terrible destination when it comes to Jesus. But the wise men... Well, the wise men, they worship Jesus. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Here are outsiders. Here are people who really shouldn't get it bowing down to Jesus. A paraphrase of verse 10 might be, they were absolutely buzzing. You see, who are the people Jesus has come to save? Well, anyone who bows down in worship. No one is too far gone, too far off. Not even these astrologers from the East. And God knows how to look after his people. In verse 12, he intervenes to make sure the wise men get home okay being warned in a dream not to return to Herod. They departed to their own country by another way. Just think about it. How do do you or I normally respond to a baby or a toddler? We might send a, a card to the parents, that's polite. Maybe tickle the child's toes, say how cute they look. What we don't tend to do is worship them or wipe them out. Of all the options open to us... We don't go for bow down or obliterate them. They're just too extreme. But not for Jesus. If we haven't understood Jesus as someone worthy of all our worship and adoration, then we haven't really understood him at all. Uh, Why not take one of these books we're handing out at the end to, to read through and find out a bit more? You might want to consider coming along to a Christianity Explored course or, or just chat to a friend here at St. John's Church. They'd love to tell you more. I know we're, we're not told the wise men are kings. I've made that point. And there's nothing here about crowns. But just imagine for a moment with me the traditional nativity scene. Now, Just imagine they are wearing crowns. What happens when you bow down if you're wearing a crown? It falls off your head, doesn't it? To worship Jesus means the crown falling off our own heads. We recognise Jesus is the king and we're not. And that is a brilliant thing. We're handing over the reins of our life to one who loves us far more than we can imagine. And who knows even better than us how to run our lives. I'm reminded of the story about Queen Victoria. That one day the chaplain of Queen Victoria was preaching about Jesus' return. Afterwards, the queen goes up to him and says, oh, how I wish the Lord might come during my lifetime. Why, asks the chaplain. I should so love to lay my crown at his feet. What do you worship? Who does your life revolve around? How do you even know you're aiming for the right goals in life? Only Jesus is worth staking our all on. So as we close this Christmas, will we put ourselves first, like Herod? Or will we put Jesus first, like the wise men? Will we trust in his death to get us right with God? Because if we do, it will mean great, overflowing, exceeding joy. But when we bow down to Jesus... The crown has to fall off our own heads. We can't both be king. Christmas is both more wonderful and more challenging than we imagine because Jesus is both more challenging and more wonderful than we imagine. I wonder, who will wear the crown this Christmas? Let me lead us in a short prayer. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for Christmas. Thank you that in your great love you sent Jesus into your world to rule and to rescue your people. Please help us recognize him as the king, as our king. Help us to realize he is the only one who brings us pardon from you. And please help us to submit to him and find our greatest joy in serving and worshipping him. In his name and for your glory we pray. Amen.